Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. up in Pennsylvania and uh, our son Nathaniel was little. We were there on the church playground and he had grabbed handfuls of wood chips and he was taking those wood chips and he was throwing them in the air and he's like, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I'm going to celebrate. And I thought, wow, but isn't that the truth, right? You and I have a chance to gather together today. We have a chance to not just throw wood chips in the air, but I pray to throw our hands in the air to say, God, I thank you that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, I know that I too can live. And that's what we're going to be studying together this morning as we prepare to hear God's word. And so let's do that. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? God, we thank you. That indeed, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Lord, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know that you hold the future. And Lord, it is all because you live that you make life worth the living. And God, what I pray is that as we spend time in your word together today, you would remind us of that incredible truth that death does not have the last and final word. But it is life that does. And it's the life that we have because of the life of Jesus. So Lord, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we can see you and hear you and know you in this place today. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to name for you four characters, and kids, I especially probably need your help this morning. And when I get to the end of those four characters, if you know what I'm talking about, I want you to give a shout-out for the show. Okay, you ready? Who can do it first? Bert and Ernie. All right, I was going to say Big Bird and the Cookie Monster, and it's Sesame Street, right? I know that is a show that earned a lot of playtime in our house growing up. It was a TV show that I remember growing up when I was a child. Now, my guess, though, is that for some of you who are younger, you might not remember this person, though I certainly do. How many of you who are older, you'll recognize a man by the name of Mr. Hooper. I was about six or seven years old uh, when Mr. Hooper died. And of course, PBS and Sesame Street were trying to figure out, well, how do we introduce this concept of Mr. Hooper's death to our audience? And of course, you're thinking of your audience, I was maybe like six or seven years old, and so how do you communicate that to somebody who's around my age? And so they consulted with a number of different child psychologists about how do we communicate this with these children. And they came up with a few thoughts. They said, first of all, don't say that Mr. Hooper got sick and died. Because children get sick, their parents get sick, and so we don't want children to think that, you know, once you get sick, you die. 
And they also said, don't say that Mr. Hooper got old and died because parents are older. They may have grandparents that are older. So we don't want children to think that just because you're older, you die. And then they said, don't bring anything overtly religious into this as well, saying something like, Mr. Hooper died and went to heaven. And so what they did is they simply communicated it in a way that said, Mr. Hooper died, he won't be coming back, and he will be missed. In fact, I want you to see there's about a minute-long clip of that exact episode. Direct your attention to the screens. Say, where is he? I want to give it to him. I know, he's in the store. A big bird? Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's not in there. Oh, then where is he? Big Bird, uh, don't you remember we told you uh, Mr. Hooper died? He he's yeah. dead. Oh, yeah, I remember. Well, I'll give it to him when he comes back. Big Bird, Mr. Hooper's not coming back. Why not? Big Bird, when, when people die, they don't come back. Ever? No, never. Why not? Well, Big Bird, they're dead. They, they can't come back. Well, he's gonna come back. Big Bird, when people die, they don't come back. I mean, let's settle in for just, for just a moment. When people die, they don't come back. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that what, uh, what Sesame Street or PBS did here was wrong, that there's anything wrong with what they did. I think they were trying to do their best to communicate to children what happens when people die, and, and truthfully, I, I understand, it is a secular show put on by PBS television uh, whose theologians are people like Dr. Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, and so I don't necessarily want them communicating to me biblical truth uh, about Jesus or heaven, but I want you to think about that idea that when people die, they don't come back. This idea that death has the last and final word. And if you think about that, isn't that what you and I communicate? That death is it. That it's final. And this is something that people have expressed for thousands upon thousands of years. Even in ancient Greece, a, a poet once wrote, once a man dies, there is no resurrection. The Greek philosopher Theocritus wrote, There is hope for all who are alive, but those who have died are without hope. And Sigmund Freud even wrote, And finally there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy has been found nor probably ever will be. Now make no mistake, I have seen death up close. I have been beside the bedside of far too many people as they have taken their last breath. 
I have officiated over numerous amounts of funerals and never once have I seen somebody open their eyes and get up out of the casket. And my sense is that you haven't either. It's because in our minds, we know, or we think we know, and we say things like death is final. It seems like it has the last word. And of course, this is no different for people of Jesus' day. They knew death as well. They had seen their parents and grandparents die. And so it's no wonder that on Easter morning, nearly 2,000 years ago, as the women made their way to the tomb, they fully expected Jesus to be there. Because they too had seen him die. They too believed that death had the last and final word. It's no wonder that Peter was perplexed. It's no wonder that Mary doubted. And beloved people, maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You know, you hear us talk about that Jesus is alive. But maybe you have your own questions And maybe you have your own doubts. And I want you to know, if that's where you are today, it's okay. I I believe we want to welcome the questions and the people with the questions. I believe God is big enough to handle our different questions. But what I also hope begins to happen is that God begins to do a work in your heart. Because here's what we know is Jesus asked his disciples, well, what do other people say I am? Who do they say I am? And, and they're saying, well, well, it's, people say, you know, maybe John the Baptist or, or maybe Elijah. But then Jesus zeroes right in and he says, but who do you say that I am? Beloved people, it's, it, it's the ability to answer that question of saying, who do I believe Jesus is that I believe makes all the difference? So this morning, where do we go to to find this hope? Where do we go to find those answers? And I believe that we see that in Scripture. If you've brought your Bibles along, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 20. We're going to be spending some time there this morning. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. We're going to begin by reading verses 1 to 10. I want to invite you to keep your Bibles handy because we'll be looking at some other verses a little bit later on. But hear now the reading of God's Word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I pray that God blesses the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. 
I want to begin by sharing with you uh, a story. Uh, It was back when we were living in Pennsylvania. Uh, The house that we lived in was probably around 75 years old. I mean, it was one of those houses, tons of character, had this incredible trim molding around everything, all kinds of built-ins everywhere. Uh, And it had the old school doors, like really thick, heavy doors with like the crystal knobs on them, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, And so at this point, uh, Nathaniel is, or Samuel, he's probably about a year and a half to two years old. And one of the things in our household that we felt like we were always saying to our kids is, stop playing with the doors, right? They, they just seem to love to open and close doors. Well, at one point, Samuel went into the bathroom upstairs and he closed the door. Well, not only did he close the door, but he also locked the door. Now, this is an old school house. The locks on this door, on these doors, are, are more like deadbolts. There, there is nothing on the outside that you can pick the lock. I mean, when you throw the lock, you throw the deadbolt. And so Sam has gone in there, and he's just toddling away, having a good time. As parents, we didn't necessarily know where he was, you know, but he was playing somewhere. Well, at some point, it, it becomes like, well, where's Sam? And so suddenly we go looking for him, and we find that he's in the bathroom. And we're not too worried. Everything is locked up, but he's in there, and he's playing around. And so you're saying, hey, Sam, open the door, buddy. Come on over. And he's just playing around, you know. And so finally, you know, we're like, come on, Sam. You got to come to the door, honey. You got to twist that knob. And of course, he has no idea. You'd hear the handle jiggle every few moments. Time goes by, and suddenly his playful attitude starts to turn to, to tears. And you can know he, he, he wants to get out. And so all of a sudden he starts crying, and I'm thinking, as, as a father, I'm like, how do I get him out of there? I thought, well, maybe I'll take the door off its hinges, but the hinges are all on the inside, so I couldn't do that. I thought, well, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll pick the lock or I'll take the lock off. Well, but the screws for the lock were on the inside. I mean, there was nothing on the outside in order to get this door open. And now probably a half hour has gone by. He's really starting to cry. And you're thinking to yourself, how are we going to get him out of the bathroom? And I thought, okay, here we go. So I went downstairs. I grabbed about an inch and a half uh, boring bit. And I just drilled a hole through the door right where I knew the lock was so I could stick my finger in there and click the lock and get him out, right? And of course, there's praises. Finally, he gets out. He's so happy, and we're so happy that he's finally free. And then, of course, as a father, I'm thinking, well, now I have to patch this door because now it has a big hole through it. Now, why do I share a story like this? I say this, beloved people, because of this. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. I mean, look, even if you look back through history, even the way in which we set dates, right? It it used to be B.C., right, before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And we try to change it now, right? It's B.C.E., before Common Era, and C, like, Common Era. But guess what? It all hinges around Jesus, And even though we live in a world that wants to try to shut the door on Jesus, try to throw out the key and not think about him, even though we live in a world that says that the resurrection is too good to be true, or it's impossible, 
Even though we live in a world that doesn't want to bend the knee to the king of kings and instead wants the king of kings to bend his knee to them. But I want you to understand what we're talking about here today is not about what's happening out there. It is about what's happening in here, about what's happening in our hearts. It's about you peering into the tomb and deciding for yourself whether it truly can be true. Whether that tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And what I pray this morning is that God begins to drill a hole through the the door of your heart and life and he flicks the switch for you so that you too can see whatever pretenses you may have that it all hinges on the resurrection. That it's all about Jesus. Because it If you want joy in this life, if you want peace in this life, if you want purpose in this life, and if you want the promise of eternal life, it all hinges on Jesus Christ and on the resurrection. Now, the thing is, when we look at the passage that we read together for this morning, you see there's all kinds of different reactions, actually, to this empty tomb. And maybe one of these is going to resonate with you this morning. And so we're going to look at, at these three different people that are mentioned here and see how did they respond to seeing the empty tomb. And maybe there's something where you're saying, aha, that, that's something that I can identify with. And then I pray that God begins to open the door to your heart and life. Now maybe some of you here this morning have your doubts. And guess what? Mary had her doubts, right? In the passage that we read for this morning, it's the third day after the crucifixion. Mary Magdalene, she she was a friend of Jesus. She, She had these demons that were cast out of her. She's on her way to the tomb to begin making final preparations for Jesus' body. She's She's going to put spices and anoint him once again. And by the way, this isn't a practice that's out of the norm. This is something that would often happen in those days. She's on her way. It's under the cover of darkness, maybe between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And she went there not expecting to see an empty tomb. We know from the other gospel accounts that Mary was there at the foot of the cross as Jesus took his last breath. She knew that he was dead. She may have been there, been a part of wrapping Jesus' body and getting it ready to be placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And so in her mind, Jesus is dead. In fact, we know from other accounts that the women are on their way there. They're actually wondering, who's going to roll the stone away? They figured that Jesus was going to be there. They too believed that death had the last and final word. But when she gets to the tomb, she finds that the stone has been rolled away. And immediately she runs off to tell the other disciples what's happened. Now, we don't get that in this passage, but you have to understand, she must have looked inside to see because what happens when she gets to the disciples? She says this, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. You can imagine She's there, and she's running on emotions, and she's out of breath. And it makes sense, right? 
Mary had seen everything through the lens of Calvary. She was not expecting good news. She was expecting to see Jesus there. But now, this bad news has been compounded by even more bad news. Jesus is now gone. And she doesn't know where they've taken him. The person that she's cared probably more than anyone, anything about, Jesus is gone. And how many of you can relate to that? Maybe you're in sometimes that state of mind like Mary where you just see bad stuff happening and then more bad stuff seems to happen and it seems just to get compounded and that's all you see is just the wrong things that are around you. You see the pain and the tragedy around you. You hear about wars and rumors of wars. You experience health complications and relational failures. You see your own hurts and your own hang-ups. And because that's all you seem to see, all you seem to expect is more bad news. And this is pretty much, pretty much where Mary is when she gets to Peter and to John. Now notice, Peter and John don't say, calm down, Mary. You know, tell us exactly what's happening. As soon as she says this, they start running. And when they get to the tomb, they see for themselves. Well, we're going to talk about them in just a couple of moments. But what we see is Mary doubted. In fact, if you have your Bibles handy, notice what it says in verses 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said these things to her. Now, we see what happens with Mary, but notice, what was her initial reaction Mary doubted. She doubted the resurrection. And even though she had heard Jesus say he would die and rise again three days later, it took her seeing the risen Lord Jesus face to face in order for her to actually believe. It took Jesus drilling a hole through the, the door of her heart and of her mind to the place where she could finally come and say, I believe. And notice, that good news changed the entire direction of her life. Everything hinged on this hope. 
Beloved people, I believe that it is the same for you and for me. I don't know what it is that you're going through. I don't know what it is that requires you to have faith. It's possible that some of you this morning are experiencing something that is very discouraging. There may be things that you are going through that cause you to question your faith and maybe even cause you to question God. And when that happens, I think oftentimes it's we don't lean on the Lord, but we end up trusting in our own understandings. And if that's you, and if you feel like you're just moving from one disappointment to the next, my prayer for you this morning is that God not only, you believe, is knocking on the door to your heart and life, but that God is just drilling right through all of those pretenses that you have, those doors that you have locked, and I believe that God wants to release your heart today to faith. And I pray that you will hear about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that you will believe. Now, maybe you're not like Mary, but maybe you're more like Peter. And Peter saw, but he didn't respond. He saw, but he didn't respond. What we learn is that both of the disciples run to the tomb. And John gets there first, and he peers inside. But when Peter gets there, Peter just barges right in. And he sees that the, the tomb is empty, and he sees that there are these grave clothes that are lying there with this, this linen, this wrapping that would have been over Jesus' face, and that's folded up and it's set aside. But I want you to see something. It never says that Peter believed. In fact, here and in Luke 24, this is what it says. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. It's interesting, actually, that we don't get a sense of what Peter is thinking. Because, like, you always seem to know what Peter is thinking, right? He, he's the one who says, if everybody denies you, Jesus, I never will, right? And what happens? He ends up denying Jesus, right? Like, Jesus, I would go with you to the very death. And he, and he chops off that soldier's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus has to say, no, my kingdom is not a kingdom of violence, as he heals this soldier's ear. And so, like, we always seem to know what Peter is thinking, but in this case, we don't. It just simply says he left wondering what had happened. And yes, Peter later on goes on to believe, right? He sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and he himself believes. But notice that in that moment, he's not sure. And you know, maybe that's kind of where you are this morning. You just, you just are wondering. And, and you just don't know. Um, ironically, I was doing a little bit of research this week, and according to the Barna Group, um, only, get this, only 73% of Christians associate Easter with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and in some ways, it's surprising to me. Um, for those who don't believe, who are not Christians, only 25% of them associate, you know, uh, Easter with the resurrection of Jesus. 
And in some ways, that, that really shouldn't surprise us. Uh, the, grow, the fastest growing group of people are what's known as the nuns or the, the duns, people who don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in the church, don't believe in the Bible. That actually has now risen to 35% of people who say that, right? But what I think is so sad about this is that so many people, and it seems to include Christians, don't believe in the one thing that can actually bring them hope. Maybe they, they don't know how to respond. Maybe they don't know what the response should be. And maybe that's kind of where Peter was. He wanted to respond, but there's kind of some level of resistance. He doesn't know what exactly to believe. Maybe he felt guilty because, well, I've denied Jesus. How can I actually believe anything like this? Perhaps he doesn't know what to believe because he sees this empty tomb and he's never seen anybody rise from the dead before, save maybe somebody like Lazarus. And perhaps that's where you are this morning. Maybe, maybe you look into that empty tomb yourself and you say, I, I honestly, I just don't know. I just don't know what to believe. And maybe it's based on past experiences that you've had in your faith journey. Maybe it's that you don't know what to believe because there's been some things that have happened, maybe some hurts that you've experienced in the church, and it's just kind of soured you to Jesus and everything with faith. But what I pray happens this morning is that you would come to the place of not just wondering, but of belief. Because I believe that everything hinges on this. In Romans 10, 9, it says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I promise that if you make that decision and believe that, that it will make all of the difference in the world. And you know what? Once Peter saw that and believed that, once he encountered the risen Lord Jesus, it sent him on a path that not only changed his life, but in a sense changed the entire course of human history. You, you and I are sitting here this morning because of people like Peter who had this encounter with Jesus who believed and were not ashamed of the gospel and would go and tell others about it. So I believe this morning that God is knocking on the door of your heart and life, and as you open the door to him and believe in the risen Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it will set your life on a new path with a new meaning. But ultimately, you today have to decide how you are going to respond. Now, notice, by the way, the third person and that's John. And what did John do? John believed. John was a little faster. He arrived at the tomb first. He, he didn't quite go in. He peered inside. Peter came in, barged in, saw what was going on. But once John goes in, what does he see? He sees those empty linen cloths just lying there. He sees this, this napkin that's been kind of folded up and it's been set aside. And there was something about this scene that convinces John that Jesus had to have been risen from the grave. Now, what is it that caused that? 
right? What, what would bring John to a place like that? I mean, it could have been simply that the fact that the tomb was empty. Jesus was dead, he was in there, and now he's gone. It had been guarded by Roman soldiers, it had a stone in front of it, it had the seal on it. I mean, all of these things, he, he was convinced Jesus should have been there, but now the, the stone is rolled away, you've got these soldiers that are knocked out all around. I mean, he sees this, and he knows and believes that Jesus is alive. But maybe there's something else that caught his attention, right? I mean, if you think back, if he was there and he sees when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of that grave, and Lazarus wakes up and he comes out of that grave, what's on Lazarus is all of these grave clothes, right? And it's like, loose him, set him free from those grave clothes. But when John looks inside, imagine those, those wrappings, like a mummy that had been around Jesus are just And, and the, that cloth that was over Jesus' face, it wasn't cast aside in haste. It was neatly set aside. Something about this scene caused John to believe. Now, we know from Scripture he didn't fully understand what all of this meant, that Jesus had to rise from the dead, but it says that he believed. And it was that knowledge that allowed him to face persecution and hardship, and danger. He was not ashamed of the gospel. And I want you to understand, you don't have to understand it all, get it all, in order to believe, right? It's not something that you can just kind of figure out, two plus two equals this equals the resurrection. It's not a matter of just trying to understand it from a scientific point of view, because there's nothing scientific to really truly understand the resurrection. John didn't. He couldn't figure any of that out, but it says that he simply believed. And what we find is that in Scripture, it says that when we believe that Jesus Christ has died and has been raised from the dead, that we receive the first fruits of those who believe and have fallen asleep. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 20 to 22, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection of the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. In other words, because Jesus rose from the grave, you and I will as well, if we just believe. In fact, everything hinges on that belief. And I promise you that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we have hope in this life. You see, our faith is a resurrection faith. We believe that there is nothing that is too far dead, too far gone, too far broken, that cannot be resurrected by the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There is no home that is too dead. 
There is no marriage that is too dead that God cannot resurrect. There is no dream that is too far gone that he cannot bring back to life again. Why? Because our faith is a resurrection faith and that is the hope of the gospel. God is in the resurrection business. And that's what we find in the truth that Jesus is alive. We have the promise of joy and peace in this life, but guess what? We also have the promise of everlasting life because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it all hinges on that fact. Beloved people, whoever takes the Son gets it all. I came across this story this week. It, I don't often do this. It, it was so good. I thought, I, I have to share it with you this morning. The story is told of a father and a son. The father was quite wealthy, and they enjoyed art together. In fact, the father was wealthy enough that he could have Van Goghs and Rembrandts and Monets. And it was oftentimes that the father and the son would sit together and just stare at these paintings. They would talk about their beauty and the masterful artwork. But the Vietnam War came and the son was sent off to war. He spent some time there, but then the tragedy struck and his son was killed in the line of duty saving the lives of his fellow soldiers. When the father finally heard about this, he was absolutely devastated. His eyes were filled with tears. It was coming close to Christmas, and as Christmas was approaching, there was a knock on the door, and when the door opened, there was this young soldier on the other side with his package in his hand, and he said, Sir, I want you to know that your son gave his life for mine that day. He saved many other lives in the process, but it was that fatal bullet that struck him that took him down. He said, he often talked about you and about your love of art, and he said, I have in this gift a picture that I have painted for you. And when the father took it and opened it, this young soldier had painted a picture of this man's son. The father said, I want to give you something. Let me give you some money. And then this young soldier said, I couldn't give you anything. I couldn't receive anything. Your son gave his life for me. And so the father took that painting and he put it above the mantle. It was the first painting when any, anybody would come to see this painting and all his beautiful Rembrandts and Monets and Van Goghs. He would always show them the painting of his son first. Eventually this man died. And there was a great auction that was held and all of these people came to see and to bid on these incredible paintings. An auctioneer had been hired to run the entire moment. But on stage was an easel and a picture of his son. And the auctioneer picks up his gavel and he says, before the auction begins, we want to auction off that the very first lot is this painting of the son. Would somebody pay $100 for this painting. There was silence in the room. Everybody was there for the bigger paintings, the more important paintings. A few moments went by and they said, come on, let's get on with it. Let's get on to the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. And the auctioneer was saying, well, who will take the sun? Who will buy the sun? 
And people began to become even more frustrated and more angry, and they wanted this, the auction to go on. And finally, somebody in the back says, I'll give you $10 for the son. It was the gardener. He had known the father and the son. He was quite poor. He didn't have a lot of money. And the auctioneer says, I have $10. Is there $20? People in the crowd began to say, give it to him. Give it to him for $10. Let's get on with it. The auctioneer takes his gavel and he says, going once, going twice, sold for $10. At that, they think that they, the auction is going to go on, but the auctioneer lays down his gavel. And people say, what's going on? He said, well, when the man died, he left a, stip a stipulation in his will that whoever buys the son gets the entire estate, including the paintings. He who takes the son gets it all. Beloved people, I want you to understand this morning the same truth in that simple story is the truth for us. Whoever takes the Son gets it all. God gave His Son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, but three days later, this King of Kings rises again. And the message to us is the same. The Son, the Son, who will take the Son? Beloved people, the same truth that I would say to Big Bird is the same truth I say to you. A dead thing really can live again. And it's all because of the hope of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ is alive, we too have the promise of everlasting life if we just believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is a day where we can celebrate the fact that death has been defeated, that the grave has been conquered, that, Lord, it has all been overwhelmed, the power of sin, because of the hope of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, my prayer would be that no matter where people are this morning, maybe there are those here who firmly believe, and if that is the case, we praise you for that, and I pray that they will find themselves being unlocked today to more and more, even deeper and more beautiful faith. Perhaps there are those here this morning who are just wondering, and they're like, it just feels too good to be true, and they have those questions, and Lord, I pray that this morning you are just knocking on the door, and we know what scripture says, that you stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens the door to you, you will come in and dine with them, and Lord, if that is the case, and you're knocking on the door of someone's heart and life, I pray that this is the moment where they would say, yes, I believe that Jesus gave his life for me. And in my heart, I believe that God raised him from the dead. And they have the promise of everlasting life. Lord, and if there's any here 
who are just so filled with doubt, I pray, God, that this morning you are beginning to to start that drilling process, that you are going to unlock their hearts to faith. Because, Lord, we do believe in the power of the resurrection, the hope of the gospel, and the truth that our faith is a resurrection faith, that there is nothing too far dead or gone or broken, that you cannot redeem and restore and renew. And so, God, whatever it is where people are struggling, whatever they are going through, would you breathe new life into them through the power and the hope of the risen Lord Jesus. And we pray all of these things in the wonderful and matchless name of that King of Kings and that Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.